0: Hello there. Once again, we welcome you to Moving Forward with Young Voices. I'm Brian Hyde, and uh, you're going to hear from some great, great perspectives on today's program. Wasting no time, I want to welcome aboard Noah Kogali. Noah, thank you so much for joining us today. And in addition to being a a Young Voices contributor, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do.
1: Thank you very much, Brian. Um, I'm broadcasting from Northern Ireland at the moment. I'm a student, but alongside that, I'm also the policy director for a UK-based foreign policy think tank um, and get involved in as much political activism and analysis as I can.
0: Wonderful. And, and you're here today to talk about a subject that I'm going to have to admit, with all the other things that have been going on, at least uh, here in the United States, I haven't paid that close of attention uh, to China, other than I know that, uh, you know, the there, there are concerns over uh, China as an economic superpower and so forth. But with the shift that's taken place in the U.S., with with some of the shifts that have taken place over on your side of the Atlantic, particularly with Brexit and so forth, the, you have an article here titled Joe Biden and Boris Johnson. Uh, can they take on China? Help set the stage for us, if you would, Noah. Um, what do you wish more people understood about China? You have some firsthand experience having lived there yourself.
1: I think this is the crux of it. I think a lot of people, for a long time, have kind of seen China as almost a not not really a dormant power on the su- on the international stage, but one that really hasn't stepped forth as much as one would expect. But they've seen it as a threat and some as someone who's sitting there, just the the sleeping dragon, so to speak. And whilst the world's eyes haven't been on it as as scrupulously as they might have been, China's really taken that opportunity to. Um, become this authoritarian state really dead set on expansionism and really push the boundaries of what what the rest of the world will let it do so it's it 's had skirmishes with India in the past um, it 's expanding into the south south china sea, and people have kind of just let it do it and, and haven 't really taken as much notice as they should have. Over the past year or so, I think people have started to pay more attention with the Uyghur Muslim situation. So for people that don't know, in the north of China, China is essentially um, exterminating um, and putting into concentration camps um, the Uyghur Muslim population um, and making sure that they can't have children and so forth. But it strikes quite quite worrying similarities between that of another authoritarian state during the 1940s. And I really think people should be starting to get very worried about what we just let happen Um, because they are an economic superpower.
0: So what kind of responsibility does this put on other first world nations? And and we'll say particularly those who have, you know, first world economic clout.
1: So I think if you look at the past, the US and the UK especially haven't really been afraid of um, dealing with authoritarian states head on. So if you look in the Middle East, especially... Um, that's not some, been something that the U.S. and the U.K. have really uh, shirked away from that responsibility. Um, but with China, because they have this huge economic clout, the rest of the world is scared to take them head on. So if you take the U.S., for example, 75 percent of the U.S. import market is from China, which when you really think about it, even if China wasn't the state that it is, is quite scary that somebody like the U.S. is that reliant on one individual player. Um, and I think it is it is time for the world, really, to start taking a stand and to start decreasing its economic reliance on China, because that is the stick that it uses to beat the rest of the world with and to beat them into submission.
0: I know for for a long time as I was growing up, and I was a child of the 70s and the 80s, you know, back when China was just kind of opening up to the West for the first time in a, in a long time. Um, and there was always this sense that, well, you know, China may have almost unlimited manpower but but their military still is is very primitive by comparison to say the Soviet Union at that time or or America at that time. What has changed in the last 20 or 30 years? Is is China becoming a first-rate military power? Is this something that that other nations are going to have to take seriously?
1: Absolutely. I think what you've seen especially with the Um, Almost that bubbling conflict between China and India, for example, is that China have have been testing those powers. So India is a nuclear power and China has demonstrated that it is willing to go toe to toe with it and, and test those boundaries. And if you take something like the Hong Kong example, that is a very close UK ally that the Chinese government decided that they were going to test on and see if the UK would respond militarily. The UK didn't. Um, as uh, you can make a strong argument as, as for why it would probably invoke a, a war that that puts World War II uh, to shame in terms of its size, um, and very quickly I think the world has realised that they weren't watching China close enough, and this is a country that in if you look at somewhere like Shanghai in the past in in thirty years Shanghai essentially went from. A, a small trade town into one of the biggest most techniclo- technologically advanced cities in the world that 's the rate of advancement that you see in china and it, it's it 's unsurprising that they 've replicated that in their military advancement as well
0: noah something that I have long heard and I, and i don 't know whether this rings true or not is that uh, china's uh, china 's economic connections with the world and its its future as an economic superpower uh, make it in the Chinese interest not to get involved militarily or to have military confrontations with with other nations like the U.S. Um, do, do you think is, is that motivating Chinese uh, leadership not to be as, you know, uh, uh, imperial or to, to go out there and, and to, to create empire or, or are, are they just do they not care? Do they say we're strong enough? We, we can do what we want.
1: I think what you see from China is that in the 21st century, it is entirely possible to to create an empire that isn't based on military power. So take the UK, for example. There were so many concerns over, over the past year that the UK 5G network was basically going to be entirely reliant on Huawei, which is a de facto arm of the Chinese state. So the Chinese government has realized that if they spread their economic web throughout the world, they can essentially have so much soft power over virtually every developed state that they don't need to go out and, uh, and really invade powers in foreign lands. They can have that control purely economically. So so that example of the US having being reliant on 75% of the US total import market being from China. If the US was to go to war with China and that was just completely cut off, the US would be economically crippled. And what, one one can look at that as a staunch as, as staunch a patriot as you like, but that's the reality. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to make serious ground on mitigating the control that China has over the rest of the world, you really have to break that tie. And if you if you look at uh, the conflict between China and Australia, um, for example, the Australians are really bound by the fact that they're so reliant on mineral imports from China, so they really can't take a proper stand against them. There's, there's rhetoric and arguments on Twitter, for example, slung back and, back and forth, but really no progress has been found in that conflict because the Australians don't have a leg to stand on. And you can see this as well in the UK. Another perfect example is the Chinese nuclear power group is involved in virtually every major UK nuclear power installation. That is a very, very dangerous game. But if a state can provide huge technological benefits at really cheap cost in the short term, governments just aren't thinking about the long term um, international impacts of that.
0: So you make a pretty strong case in your article that um, either either the US or the UK individually would probably be hard pressed to, to contain... Um, China on their own. But uh, you say that if there's a unified front between these two nations, and I would assume possibly others, that uh, that Chinese ambitions can can be kept in check. Am, am I reading more or less into, into what you're saying, or is that, does that accurately reflect what you were trying to say?
1: Absolutely, that's what I'm trying to say. If you look at the um, Fortune 500 companies, 85% of China's companies on there are um, government-owned. If you start targeting very specific companies um, that the Western world and the Anglo-Sphere specifically aren't incredibly reliant on, so you, so you leave something like the mineral, mineral um, industry out of it, then you find this mechanism by which you can increase Chinese reliance on um, valuable um, Western, Western imports whilst damaging something like the uh, Chinese tech industry. So when you damage the Chinese tech industry, it hits the personal pockets of the CCP – And by doing that, one can then start to manipulate um, their international ambitions. But you have to have a unified front to do that. The UK alone banning Huawei wouldn't have a huge impact. But if that can be replicated across the whole Anglosphere, that really starts to damage uh, Chinese prospects internationally.
0: Okay and and I I think the the gist of what your article is pointing out too is we have now in the White House uh, you know a, a president who appears to be much more open to interventionism than than the outgoing president was um is Boris Johnson uh, more inclined to to engage with other nations like that as well
1: I think this is a perfect storm. There's a perfect opportunity here for a um, neocon U.S. president and a U.K. prime minister who is really seeking to reestablish the U.K.'s role on the world stage. And this is the perfect opportunity to do that. If the U.K. stands by and doesn't do anything, then that really demonstrates to the rest of the world that Britain is not really back and that we're not a major player anymore.
0: Noah Kogali, I am so thankful we had this uh, opportunity to visit. Where can people find your article?
1: Um, they can find it on thearticle.com um, and other such works on com as well.
0: Very good. This is Moving Forward with Young Voices. We'll be back just the other side of these messages.